This is the Thanks for Sharing podcast, the podcast where we explore all things recovery, healing, and relationship. Remember to subscribe and download episodes in the iTunes Store, the Google Play Store, or on the Podbean app. You can find more Thanks for Sharing at www.thanksforsharingpodcast.com or on Facebook at facebook.com slash healingpaths. That's path with an S. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Thanks for Sharing. I'm John T. And I'm Jackie P. Um, this is a celebration episode. This is number 100. Yes. Although I recognize since we did an episode zero, technically this is episode 101. Oh, right. But it says 100. But so it says 100 on our yeah. Yeah, so this is a big deal. And so you can't see it, but we have confetti. You know, we've got some great things here in the office. We're a little drunk right now because <laughs> we've been celebrating. <laughs> totally kidding. Um, so we, we've been talking the last couple of weeks about what we wanted to do for this uh-huh. episode. And, um, you know, Jackie's husband uh, suggested that he and my wife should record episode 100. Right. And then very quickly retracted that and made sure... Said, please don't ever make me do that. Made sure it was... We knew it was a joke. But it was a good idea. Yeah, and one... one I'd, I'm not prone to let that one lie. <laughs> like, I think we ought to go forward with that. Especially because Alicia and Jeff have just such great chemistry. Right. I'm trying... I know they've talked. They have talked. I don't remember what it looks like, though. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but we decided uh, we wanted to kind of come full circle on this. Episode zero, we shared our stories. Mm-hmm. And in episode 100, we're going to kind of give you the update what the last two years have looked like. Right. Um, yeah. So who wants to go first? I feel like I'm in a group. I know. I feel like I went first in zero. Okay. So you go first. I'll go. I'll go. So um, I, I, I think I could remember kind of the general story <clears throat> I would have shared. So if you want an update on that, go back to, to episode zero. But... Um, so and we, it's not the greatest sound quality, but still, you can get the story out. We were really confused about how microphones worked. <laughs> and we recorded that one like four times. Because I was really confused about how to be relaxed. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, we've come a long way. So that was in October of 2016 when we mm-hmm. went live with this. Mm-hmm. And um, a whole lot of things happened after that. I feel like the last two years of my life have just been like this really needed... Um, deep work and, and, um, deep growth. And I feel like, I feel like a lot of my work up to that point has been preparing me for what my business coach, Matt Kaufman would call the power curve. Mm -hmm. Like, um, I, I look back at most parts of my life and think like really good things came out of that. that I would know, have known how to ask for in the last two years have felt like mostly that. So, um, in November of 2016, uh, my panic drove me to figuring out how to be a responsible adult with money mm-hmm. and um, being <clears throat> someone who works for themselves. Um, so I I started work with an organization called Therapy Practice Accelerator, um, learning how to have a private practice and to not have that be like the most stressful part of my life um, because I really do love my job and I love the work mm-hmm. that I do here. but. Previously, the uncertainty about income and and like how to make this viable, like it was killing me. Um, I think it was probably a couple weeks before I called and and started that program. I came home one night in tears, just thinking Mm -hmm. like I have three more months to fill up my credit cards with my expenses, and then like I'll have to get a job. Oh. Um, And then I I woke up the next morning and I was like, 
no, <laughs> that's not the case. Um, in the light of day, that might look differently. That to was me. a little panicky, but that wasn't an uncommon experience mm. for me. Just like how how long can this really keep working? And um, I'm I'm really grateful to what recovery from addiction taught me about like you you find something that sounds reasonable and you give it a good effort. Uh-huh. So um, I did everything that um, Matt told me to do. I did the assignments, I followed through, I attended the weekly phone calls, and I would say within about five months, I was like 300% more stable, Mm. and like so much more confident in just like, I can actually do this, and that felt like a really big growing up moment for me. Um, I always felt like coming here and working with Jackie and our staff, it was like, this is really fun (laughs) make-believe, and I like like to think that this... um, like this will work long term, but um, you know, it just never felt like it clicked, and it's been clicking the last couple it of years, has, and it's yeah. it's been so exciting. Because what you learned, you've shared practice wide, and it's benefited the whole practice. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's not just like how to be good business minded therapists. Uh-huh. Like, there's been a lot of personal growth that's come out of that. Yeah. Um, I spend some time with myself every morning reading over a vision statement for what I want to have happen in my life. And I feel like that has really opened the door to some really beautiful changes in my relationship with my wife and with my kids. Um, one of the things that I've been focusing on is an outgrowth of this, like, how do I have my livelihood actually sustain me is, um, I've started this weekly tradition of, um, making sure I date my wife and I date my kids too. Mm. Um, and so we've been, you know, Sunday afternoon, I hand around the notebook where we've made the list of things we want to do together and they pick what looks interesting to them. And I, they pick three things and I pick one that is like, this is what I can make happen this week. And we schedule it. And, um, I feel so much more at peace in those relationships Uh and so connected. And that's been something from, from my story in episode zero, I've always feared, not being able to do that like just kind of being the emotionally absent dad that you know can can be fun on occasion mostly just works a lot um Mm. i actually feel like there's relationships forming as my kids get older they're eight and five now almost six um like it's really cool to see that these new parts of their personality that come out i'm not just like okay what do i do it's Uh. like i can dive in um and that feels really good Um, I think another one of the outgrowths that's totally surprised me, and I can't remember if I've talked about this on the podcast yet, but, um, around, it was probably the spring of 2017. Um, I was seeing a trauma therapist and doing some EMDR work and I came home from an EMDR session one day and I was like, I think a dog would be really good for me. Mm. Now, if, if I back up in my story, when my wife and I were dating, I said, um, I will not have a mammal that's not a human live in my house. And, um, like I, I said, so if you, if you need that, like we need to be done now cause that's yeah. not going to happen. And she was like, I could get on board with that. And we took in a stray cat for a while because our kids wanted that. And that was a horrible like right. cat urine disaster. And you were like, I was right. No mammals that right. aren't human. Right. So I come <laughs> home from this session one day and we weren't even working on like my hatred of animals. Like, <laughs> but I was just like, I think I want a dog. And my wife was like, what? And I was like, I think yeah. it would be really fulfilling to like 
train and take care of and have this companion. And um, our kids were kind of rumbling about that at that time, but I was like, oh, kids don't really get dogs. Like, <laughs> So we started talking about it and we started researching and you know, it, it took us probably six months to really evaluate, would we be ready for this? And, you know, I wasn't in a hurry. And um, in we brought her home on September 11th of 2017, um, Luna, our uh-huh. red standard poodle. And um, within a couple of weeks, my son was saying to my wife, you guys are really weird with Luna. And he's like, no, dad's really weird with Luna. Like, <laughs> she's my baby um Mm. and there's a bond there that i think has opened up a piece of my heart that um like i didn't even know that that existed like that kind of softness and that kind of care and just like um it's like a borderline obsession with this dog you know yeah um and one of my one of my favorite things that's happening now I've I've gotten some I feel like really good routines in my life and one of them is most Sunday mornings Luna and I go on a long hike by our house and I take her off leash and she stays pretty close to me and explores things and has fun and um, I can tell she misses me when I go to work Mm. Um, and that's been you know for all this talk about like illegitimate therapy dogs around I feel like I get it now like (laughs) she's not trained as a therapy dog or anything but it has been so therapeutic yeah for me to have that and I feel like a lot of relationship healing has happened through having a dog yeah and and you find because we have dogs we have dogs too but they can be a um kind of this center of the wheel that kind of binds the family and Uh and just that they it's amazing to me how animals can be so perceptive to human emotions and yeah. tend to those things with yeah. each family member. When I think she demonstrates one of the most critical things that I've needed is like, it, it doesn't matter if I have a bad day with her. Uh-huh. Like when she was a puppy, there were days that I just wanted to like <laughs> drop kick her out the door. I remember you asking me, like, it gets better, right? <laughs> yes. And I've had people say, you have to forgive everything during the first two years of a dog's life. <laughs> And, um, but I, I know like no matter what I throw at her, there's just unconditional love Uh coming back. And it's this, um, I I can feel this need from her to be taken care of and loved. That's not overwhelming to me. And I think that's something that my childhood really equipped me to not experience was like the needs of others were overwhelming. Yeah. There was no room for that. And and that's one of the things, too, that can be so great about dogs, right, that haven't been abused is they're so, they have no hesitation of putting their need out there. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. I want to come talk to you. Oh, you're reading the newspaper? Nope, I'm coming and sitting on it, and I'm staring at you. No, the, the other <laughs> night, I was telling Jackie about this the other day, like, we have this greeting ritual, which... I'm a weird dog person. My, my siblings are like shocked now. They're like, you of all people, like you and Alicia are weird dog people. And I'm, I'm actually, I'm, I'm hoping in the next year that we, we adopt another dog. Mm. Um, Cause I want to now. Um, but we have this ritual. I come home from work and she's big. Like when she's up on her hind legs, her paws are like on my chest. So when I come home from work, she gets up there and I lean down and she puts her paws on my shoulder and she licks. I have a shaved head now. You wouldn't see this in the pictures, but she licks my entire head. And it's like this five minute, like, I missed you so much process. And if I get up before it's done, she jumps on me to remind me. So the other night I come home, it was one of my late nights and my wife's in bed and I, I go into the room and I'm greeted by Luna, who's just like wagging her tail uncontrollably. And we do this 
hello thing and she jumps down so I go and sit on the bed to say hello to Alicia and um Luna jumps up and like lays across Alicia and is like no I'm not done <laughs> and um like I think when I've seen that from other human beings I've been like ugh get a grip yeah. but I see this from Luna and it's like of course you need this and I can do right. that and I'm finding like I can do that with other people uh-huh. Uh-huh. now too so I'd say that's been one of the big um the big changes there um Another part, I uh, we've talked a little bit about the GLI uh-huh. that we went to in May, and I feel like many parts of that were kind of this, for now, kind of a capstone to what I've needed mm. in my relationships with men. Um, I've been really insecure about friendships and just feeling like I could never find the right one and like I didn't fit with with other men. And I don't know if I talked about this in my story, like I've never been a coordinated person. I've always been, I think, more artistically inclined than sports inclined so as a little boy I felt like there weren't really people that I could fit in and that narrative has kind of carried with me and um I feel like some good some good things were in place prior to me going to GLI but there was something that um Rod said to me the last morning um and I can't remember if I've talked about this on the episode but he said um that whole storyline about you walking to a room and like people just waiting to reject you. He's like, that has to stop. That has Mm -hmm. to be over. It's done. And I was a bit like, no, Rod, you don't get it. Like, you're like, if it's only that easy, I was like, we always, we always have to carry that. And I just said like, so like, what do you mean by that? And he's like, I watched you yesterday talk about your kids and talk about your work and talk about your wife. And like, you are warm and engaging and confident. And he's like, you need to lead with that, not Mm -hmm. your insecurity. Um, and I feel like that really kind of helped click some things. And so like, I, I don't have a wide array of friendships with other guys. Now I, I have, I have a sponsor now that I can talk to in depth about things and that's been really good, but I'm so much less, uh, anxious about that. Mm. And, um, a lot more kind of go with the flow and, when I need something like the opportunity to meet that need will arise. And, um, that has been really freeing. Mm. Um, that has felt really good to not feel like I'm always in this like dry sponge condition. Yeah. And that I actually have some things to give. Um, and I'm finding there's, there's people and organizations now that I'm willing to interface with and like, I could give that, I could do that Uh. even though I'm not necessarily getting a lot in return. Um, Whereas before it was always just like, I'm too tired for that or, you know, that's too much. Um, I would say in the last couple of years, um, one of the hardest things that I've been through, um, this was the summer of 2017 or early summer of 2017. Um, in our, in our community, they do during the summer, they call it park lunch and the lunch ladies come and you know, they have school lunch mm-hmm. for the kids that are um, school age. And our kids like to go to it because all their friends are there and they think like school lunch is the mm-hmm. coolest thing. And moms like to go because they're not eating in their own kitchen. Right. Making <laughs> right. a mess. Right. Um, so this is one of the days that I uh, went in. It was probably a Thursday, went into the office later. So I was at park lunch and this girl who lived in our old neighborhood she walked up to me and I remember her as like this Your 11. old neighborhood like as a kid? No, no, as like... As when a dad. We, yeah, when okay. we moved. Okay. Um, so she was probably 
10, 9, 10 when we moved in. And my wife got to know her a little bit through a, a church group. And um, she was always kind of just like out there, mm-hmm. you know, as a, as a grown man, I don't generally make friendships with teenage girls, <laughs> just, you know. Which is wise <laughs> life practice. <laughs> One of the rules I live by. <laughs> um, but she comes up to me and she's really animated and she's like, Johnny. And I, I looked and she's like, do you remember me? And I was like, of course I do. And, you know, I said her name and um, she's like, how are you guys doing? And I was like, we're, we're doing great. We just moved up here a couple of years ago. And I said, how are you? And she's like, I'm in foster care now. And I was like, oh, how do you feel about that? And she's like, it's been great. Um, she's like, I'm so I'm so glad that I have a safe place to live. And I said, Alicia's here. She would want to say, she'd want to see you. And she's like, oh, yeah, totally. So we, we talked to her and we leave the park. And um, it was a couple days later. I think we were both like, this is a crazy idea. And mm. um, let's not do it. Or, or, or if I if I bring this up, like my spouse is going to think I'm crazy. But we both kind of at the same time were like, what do you think about foster care? And my wife was like, I've been wanting to ask you. And she's like, I think seeing this girl at the park, like, it just, she's like, we, we have something to offer and we could like, we're not going to have any more kids of our own. It's a medical nightmare to have biological children. <laughs> um, but you know, we said we, we feel like we have a safe home to offer and, and we, we may not be done, you know, being mm-hmm. parents. And so we started training and it was really intense. It was, I think it was two nights a week for an entire month, like four hours each one of these nights. Um, training to be certified as a foster parent and um so we we took all the classes we did that in a month um it was really intense but i'm i'm really glad that we did it we learned a lot and then the next phase you have to get your home approved and licensed to house kids in state's custody um so we had the we had the home study person come out and as part of that they interview you in depth Mm. and of course um my wife and I being in recovery, we're, we're always like, honesty is the best policy and transparency is, is what we do. So we weren't... And you would think you can trust these people because they're somewhat in the field. Oh, yeah. Well, and, and after all the training that we had been through, it was like, you know, these kids are going to come with problems. You mm-hmm. can't ignore it. Like, and you also can't freak out about it. So we thought like, this is one of the things we have to offer. Mm-hmm. Like, we're a family of problems and we don't freak out about it. We don't freak out about it. So we're very <laughs> honest in that. And the, the home study person writes up a big report and then they send it to DCFS, which is the state agency that actually like removes kids from the home and determines placement and things. And that was the last hurdle. So we had our home study in October of 2017. And, um, we were thinking like we'd be approved for placement around Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it could be possible like around Christmas, we'd have a new child and, uh, living in our home and um, the trainers were like if you think that you want to take on new kids around the holidays you're crazy and like don't make that your plan but it's just kind of how it worked out and we were open to it and we didn't hear anything and we just kept hearing like oh it's holiday stuff like we're busy so after the new year we finally hear back from the social worker that was assigned to our case and she said um, I have some additional questions about your home study and we're like you've been sitting on this for six weeks mm-hmm. like what questions do you have? And um, she she asked, and she's like, I'm going to have to talk to my supervisor. And then they called us to come in, and you know, we called our trainer, and we were like, is this normal? And she's like, no, not really. And we're like, should we be concerned? And she's like, 
I don't know what concern is going to do you because what good it's going to do because mm-hmm. at, the, at the end of the day, DCFS decides. And um, we came in and they said, we're not going to approve you guys for placement. Um, we have concerns about the safety of your home and we have concerns about your mental health status, um, particularly with me because I was honest about addiction and recovery and all of that. Like, you know, you'd expect you, you could be. And um, we were just kind of dumbfounded. And they said, well, that's all we have. This is about five minutes. Mm-hmm. In, in it was to less come than that. Shatter your world. Yeah, and it was this. It was a supervisor we had never met, and um, we we barely knew the caseworker that was assigned to our our family, and um, just sitting there and, and like stunned. And she's like, "Well, that's all we have for you. Um, so thanks for coming in." And we walked out to the car, kind of in this daze, and um, we like. It's still like there's a lot of there's a lot of pain there. Um, so we we had to come home and like as part of the home study, we had to show that we had adequate bedrooms and furniture for kids. So we had this room set up. Um, we uh, we told them that we were interested in taking little girls because our house is full of boys and our family's full of boys. And you can do that as a foster parent. You can be picky. Um, so we had this room decorated for a little girl, and our kids helped with that. And um, we had to tell our kids that there wasn't going to be another kid come to live with us. And, um, that was really hard. Mm -hmm. It felt, um, I know this might sound weird, but it felt a bit like there was a death. Like we Mm -hmm. were expecting something. We didn't know what, um, there was anticipation. There's a lot of anticipation and, and preparation. And we had given a lot of time and our, our hearts and our money. And we just felt like we got told like, you're not good enough and you won't be, you can't be. Um, and um, that was really, really hard. And we spent probably a couple months kind of in this, like, dazed grief. What are we supposed to do? And, um, like, there was a lot of anger. There was a lot of sadness, a lot of tears. Um, and uh, I feel like that's still a work in progress. Mm-hmm. Like, trying to figure out. Right now, we foster adult people. <laughs> <laughs> Um, my, uh, my little sister lived with us for a little while. Uh, she teaches at the high school, not far from our house. And, um, the people she was renting a home from decided to move back in and she still had a few months of school. So she came and lived with us. And this is my youngest sister. There's, um, almost 10 years age Mm -hmm. difference. And I've been able to get to know her in a way that I haven't before. And, um, right now my, uh, wife's brother is living with us and, um, that's something again, like two years ago, I would have been like, family will never live with us. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm seeing some of the benefits to this multiple generations living in one household mm. model of doing things like, um, it, it's been cool to see it in this, you know, kind of open, honest culture that we've, we've needed, especially with uh, my wife's brother that like there's support that our family gets from, mm having him there and close and there's benefits that my kids get um that again I couldn't have imagined and that Alicia and I can't offer by mm-hmm. ourselves and um so life continues to be this really strange adventure uh where most of it feels good um some of it's really painful but that's not a problem um and I'm feeling I think one of the things that the last two years has really given me is kind of this um it's going to be okay. I'll be mm. okay no matter what. And that's not just a theory. 
mm-hmm. anymore. That's something that I really believe and and I I practice daily so that that belief can stay alive. So I'd say there's my update. Awesome. Okay. Um, so for me, in the last two years, um, I, first I will have to say I was ha- talking with my husband maybe a month or so ago, and I said to him, I, I really. I'm enjoying this phase of life that we're at. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, there's, there's hard parts about it, right? So in the end of July, we dropped, we took our uh, third daughter to college and she had to go a little bit early cause she's playing soccer. And at the time, you know, I was just feeling so much like, Oh my gosh, I can't like this day of like, I, this kid has been, a daily part of my life mm-hmm. and all of a sudden they're not necessarily going to be well she's your first one to go out of state she's too. the first one to yeah. go out of state and and I, at first i was feeling a little guilt but then i remembered oh no i felt this way with the other two too like, <laughs> it, it's just i'm feeling it right now with her um you'll have plenty of opportunities for guilt with your other kids <laughs> right and so that leaves us with one kid at home our our 15 year old and um and life is very different when you have one 15-year-old child at the house. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, and, and in many ways, it's it's a hard thing to let go with your kids when they move to this next chapter of life of being young adults. And in many ways, it's it's exciting and it's rewarding to start to see them spread their wings and to see all of these years of really hard work start to pay off in some ways and to watch them kind of blossom into this adult person. Um, and, and there's some great things about that, but you know, you also know that even when they come home, it's never the same. Yeah. So there's a, you know, there's a letting go and opening to a new chapter and, and that's exciting, but it's also difficult. Um, so we also moved in June. Uh, and we moved, you know, it was a pretty significant move, like totally different. Um, it was like a divorce from your culture move. Yeah, it yeah. was. And, and it was, it's a whole different, like we had to figure out like where to get our dogs groomed, which was mm-hmm. much harder than you would have thought. Um, <laughs> Good thing you're picking groomers that are picky though. <laughs> right. Um, and, and so it was like a, like not just a, you know, we moved within a 10 mile radius or something. Um, and so it was really starting to get to know people again and, um, and, and getting kind of our grounding in this new place. But I feel like in many ways it was a good move in that it was time to move. Like where we were living was not working anymore. And it was, it was, um, emotionally coming with a price, I think to the whole family and while that was diff, I mean, it was difficult though to move. Um, like I said, we have a 15 year old, so she's a sophomore in high school, and she had to start at a high school, and she knows nobody. Mm-hmm. And and I don't really know people to help her know people. Um, and so that was difficult for her. And you know, the first month of high school, like I mean, she was like, "I like my classes. All of that is fine. Lunch is the killer. Mm-hmm. Like I know nobody to eat with." And I kept telling her every day, like, one day you're going to meet people and they're gonna, it's going to click and you're mm-hmm. going to have friends. And then I think, I hope 
Like, <laughs> I hope that happens. Like, That's a nice idea. That usually happens, right? But then I read this story about, like, it was in the newspaper. I don't know if it was local or what, but it was, like, this kid who had eaten lunch every day for four years by himself. Jeez. And I was like, oh, my gosh. Please, please don't. You know, and it was just saying this group of kids had reached out to him and whatever. But I was just like, oh, no, no, no. And so the good news is one day I get this text from her and she's like, mom, these people in my English class. um, Well, she had asked them. She said, hey, can I eat lunch with you? And they said, sure. And she's done this with other people and it hadn't quite clicked. Mm -hmm. Um, But then the next day she was like, so do I ask him again? And I said, well, yeah, you can just say, can I eat lunch with you again? And so she said, I got to class. She texted and said, I got to class. And they said, you're eating with us again, right? And she was just like, yeah. And then she was like, mom, they invited (laughs) me. I didn't have to like ask again. And I was just like, oh, that's so awesome. And she says, and then at lunch, they said, what are you doing this weekend? Do you want to go to the football game with us? And she was just like, I have friends. (laughs) So that was exciting to see some of that, you know, growth payoff. Um, I think also, you know, for me, uh, GLI, you ta- you mentioned mm-hmm. GLI and, and that was, I'd been before and, you know, e- each experience is not, you can't just replicate the experience. And so in some ways, um, it was difficult for me. Um, it, it wasn't, I, I felt like the first experience was really positive and there was Mm -hmm. some negative with the second one but the hard thing about negative experiences is they often lead to growth right and and that was true it it led me to some growth and some things that i was uh working on you know just this i i feel like a lot of my my backstory one of the things that comes up often for me is that my voice doesn't matter or I get overlooked mm-hmm. or that what I say isn't heard or it's discounted. And and some of that got replicated at GLI, but I felt like some of the work that I had been doing, you know, in the past two years led to me being able to say no. Yeah. Like, you don't get to silence me here. Mm-hmm. And 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 it was kind of coming from this internal place of like I'm not buying into that again and mm-hmm. that may be happening but you don't have to believe it mm-hmm. and and so in some ways I came back more um more confident in my voice or more like I didn't take it for granted as much yeah um I felt like it secured and cemented some of that personal internal belief um, that I have worked hard to change from just my early life experience. And, you know, and, and some of the things that I would say that has led to, um, there's been a, a couple experiences in the last two years where I've had an opportunity to step up and speak my voice or add mm-hmm. my truth to the situation that I never would have done before. Right. And, and in one of the situations, um, it's, you know, it's somebody that we have worked with. Um, well, we haven't really worked with them professionally, but we know of them, they know of us and, um, you know, and, and there came about kind of through some email an opportunity for me to speak up and say, Hey, this is how I feel about this and this Mm -hmm. is what I'm seeing and these Mm -hmm. are my concerns and this is my experience. And I think, you know, it, 
I knew when I wrote that email that this would maybe catch the person off guard. Yeah. And I still did it. Yeah. And it did catch him off guard and it led to a follow-up email saying, hey, would you be willing to go to lunch and talk about this? And at first I was kind of like, I don't think they're going to believe me anyway, right? Yeah. Or, or I just, I don't really feel like they are going to hear me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so do I really want to give time to going and, and doing this and being vulnerable and speaking my truth when I really don't think it's going to make a difference? Yeah. And I don't really have a control over whether it makes a difference. Um, but I decided, yeah. I think that I need to do it just because I need to do it. Mm-hmm. And whether it has any effect on the the outcome, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Like I hear somebody who I don't think listens to voices like mine. Um, and they said, would you come speak to that? And I decided, yeah, I, I will. I, I can't complain about not being heard and then when somebody's like hey I want to hear you I say no and that was that was so cool to watch from the sidelines um, because like I think often in those situations it can feel like oh I just had to go and open my mouth and now I'm obligated to this and I really felt you kind of like step into like this is going to happen uh-huh. and I'm going to make it happen like I'm the catalyst here and what I have to say is important and it was cool to watch you work in that space. Yeah. Thanks. And and I I went in kind of it with this clear um I think clear headspace that just was like I I don't I don't care if it makes a difference. Mm-hmm. I'm just showing up and I'm just speaking um and and felt like I was speaking not just for me but for women, right? Yeah. And and being this voice um that for women often get silenced and and I knew that like in this, I think it was like a two hour lunch or an hour and a half lunch, that no way could I fully get him to understand. Um, but I didn't need to either. Yeah. Like I just wanted to like have two or three things that made him say, oh, I've never thought of that or I've never heard that before. Mm-hmm. And and that happened. And I don't know that anything is going to be different, right? Um, but for me, it was different. For yeah. me, it was this using my voice and speaking up and being heard just for the sake of being heard. Yeah. And, um, and, and that's been really powerful for me in, in a lot of ways, because typically I, I mean, I have my people who will hear me and they're kind of close. And, and sometimes I've joked, not totally joked, but said, I literally had to birth and raise these people. Um, because some of that is true. Um, and, and so I have my people who I feel like will listen to me and that my voice matters and that actually they want to know what I mm-hmm. think or feel. Um, but on a larger scale, I, I don't always take the opportunity or I don't have the opportunity. And so in this instance, I stepped in and, and created the opportunity and took the opportunity. And so that was good. And that's been uh, rewarding in a lot of ways in my mm-hmm. life, I think. Um, and, and the move was some of that too. The move was, uh, using my voice with mm-hmm. my feet and moving. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the last thing I think, um, that has happened. So I, I don't know, I think I might've said this in episode zero, both of my parents are deceased. Um, my dad, August was 10 years since mm-hmm. my dad died and, 
this December will be four years since my mom passed away. And and my dad, um, really, when he died, my life didn't change. Mm-hmm. And I knew that before he ever died, that like when he died, my life would not change. Like I now didn't have to go visit him for one hour each year. Yeah. But that wouldn't be a negative change. Yeah. Like that would be a positive change. And and that was true. And my dad died. And I, I mean, I, I don't, sometimes I, I don't want to be misjudged when I say this, but I was like, okay, fine, done. Close mm-hmm. that chapter of my life. Mm-hmm. It's over. That relationship is now done. And I didn't give much thought to him um, after that. And I don't know that a lot of my siblings ever yeah. did. Like we were just kind of like, whew done and um and in the last year i think there's just been some rumblings there um you know where like when my parents divorced i was close to my dad's mom my grandma on that side and i didn't feel this way with my mom's parents um my grandparents on my mom's side like i felt like they loved us but they loved all of us and yeah. i felt like with my my grandma on my dad's side I did kind of feel like I was a favorite. Um, I, maybe my other siblings did too. I don't know. But I felt like I was kind of a favorite with her, and I felt close to her. Um, my grandpa had died. He died when I was like 19. Um, so he had died, you know, before, but I, I felt like loved by him too. And and my parents divorced. I was 23, 20, I was 24 when my parents divorced. And at that time, my grandma just cut off contact. Hmm. Like, I never really talked to my grandma again. I think the next time I I saw her was at my dad's funeral. She outlived my dad by like two years. But she had dementia, and so you really couldn't talk much. Yeah. But I hadn't seen her, you know, for that length of time period, and... And then, you know, she died two years later, and so we went to her funeral. Um, But what that meant is, like, she cut us off. Um, We had no contact with that side of the family again. Like, I had three cousins. My dad just had one half-brother, and he had three kids, and, and we just never saw them again. We never talked to them. Like, it was just like, oh, they don't exist anymore because my parents divorced. And... It was just kind of the way that it was, but um, the house that we ended up buying, and and we looked at a ton of houses, but the house we ended up buying is like maybe it's less than five minutes from my grandma's mm. condo, and and so that kind of brought up some things. Just I hadn't really been to that part of Salt Lake um, since since I was you know young, and and definitely since I was twenty four, and so that just kind of brought up some like. I know this territory, but I don't really know this territory. And and so it made me think of my grandma some more. Um, It made me um, just remember some things. And then um, my dad, he had a, his third wife um, passed away in June of this year. And I didn't really know her, you know, I mean, I think my dad had been married to her for like four years when he passed away. Mm -hmm. And so, and like I said, I, I saw my dad maybe like one hour a year. Like I'm not exaggerating. So that meant I probably interacted with her four hours 
yeah. of my life when my dad died. And and then once he died, I didn't really, I mean, I sent her a Christmas card, but there wasn't really communication or anything like that. And, and so she passed away this past June. And what that meant is, um, like we got a lot of the family photos mm. that my dad always had. And then she kept after he died, we got those back. And, and so I was kind of looking through some of the photo albums and just seeing things that like I forgot, right. Or they weren't like significant parts of my life, but they were these small details of the life that I had forgotten because I didn't see the pictures or I couldn't remember all of that. And it kind of led to, I mean, it led to some anger. Um, it led to some sadness and grief just about my dad and about my grandma and just that whole situation. Again, I kind of had to revisit that. And, and there was, um, I think some healing that came in, you know, one of the times, uh, my brother, my one brother had gotten all of the photo albums and just was like, who wants to store these? I don't want to store these. And so I said, I will. And we were having dinner. We were all at his house and we're, you know, I just pulled them out and started looking at them and, and telling the story. My older sister happened to be in town and her and I probably had the most memories, you know, and we're telling stories and it led to a lot of just sharing of family things, good and bad. And, and that was healing, um, to go through some of that. But I also started looking at those stories and kind of what happened in my dad and my grandma, also through my professional lens, which I am not very good at doing, right? My husband will often say, you know a lot and you're really good at your job, but when it comes to your family, you forget what you know. I think that can also be like, I think that can be a blessing. Yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and, and so my husband and I have had some frank discussions about what I know and then applying that to my dad and to yeah. my grandma and and just kind of really looking at some of those naked truths mm-hmm. that I didn't want to look at before or I didn't feel a need to and now I, I have. And, and so there's been some, like I said, there's been some sadness. There's been some anger. Um, I feel like all of a sudden after 10 years of really not having a whole lot of grief work to do after his death, mm-hmm. there's been some things I've had to do again. Yeah, And it's led to some, I think some healing conversations. Now I've said before, some of the best conversations I've had with certain members of my family, my mom and now my dad and my grandma happened after they were dead. Mm-hmm. Um, but but it led to some healing conversations and, and talking to my grandma about, grandma, there were some things that you did in parenting my dad that really created a mess mm-hmm. that we have had to clean up. And and I, you know, maybe from understanding kind of her journey and her life saying, I think I can understand why you did what you did. So I, I don't condemn it. But it sure didn't work out well. Mm-hmm. And let's let's have the honest conversations about your choices and how they've shown up in your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren's lives. Mm-hmm. And, and in some ways, uh, th- like I said, those conversations were healing. And it was good to speak that truth and start to say, okay, I'm picking up this aspect of my story 
again, but in a new way mm-hmm. and looking at it from where I stand today. Mm-hmm. And so that's been, it, it's like I said, it, it's been hard in some ways, but it's also been healing and liberating. And, and again, it led to some good, you know, my, my kids, I talk to my kids about this stuff, but when we were there at my brother's, you know, a month or so ago talking, you know, my kids were listening and the the spouses that have married in, they were listening. But this was really the six of us talking. And as we were driving home, my oldest daughter said to me, she's like, Mom, you've told me some of these stories, but it was just so different watching you guys talk about the story mm-hmm. than it was when you told me about it. And and she said, I said, oh, like in what ways was it different? And she's like, I felt some sadness around it that mm-hmm. like I didn't have when you just told me about it. Like maybe I felt sad for you, but she's like, there was just, I, I think, you know, what she was maybe saying that didn't have the words for was this, con- she felt connected to this story in a way that she didn't, yeah. right? She didn't know my dad. Um, she didn't know my grandma. And all of a sudden she was feeling this personal connection to these stories, which I, again, I think is powerful when we feel connected to the story, regardless of how sad or painful it is, when we actually feel the connection, there's some truth there because we are connected to that story. And knowing and feeling that story allows us to move forward in our own story in ways that we are now intentional or deliberate or mindful about. I think that brings a part of us home. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, you know, being able to connect the feeling with all the feeling that we've been living in Mm -hmm. to get a name for it, a context for it. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for sharing. Yeah. Same to you. And thanks for the last two years. This has been really fun. It has. And we have no plans of ending. Yes. (laughs) At the end of this episode, we want to remind you that your story matters. Remember, there is something meaningful in every chapter. Don't wait to share your story till it's finished. You can share your story with us on our Facebook page, Healing Paths, Inc., or on our website, www.thanksforsharingpodcast.com. This podcast is solely for the purpose of information and entertainment and does not constitute therapy, nor should it replace competent professional help. At the end of another episode, we want to remind you that nobody has time for perfection. We are pursuing progress. And remember the prayer of the perfectionist. Help me remember I can't do it all. Help me to take things one step at a time and that the only step I need to focus on is the next right step for me. Help me to remember that life is a journey. Help me to be able to separate all that I am learning from all that I have to do. Help me to remember that I am not alone, that I can ask for help. Help me to strive for frequent awakenings, not mastery. I am enough. Amen.